Well, to finish that story, Fargo, North Dakota, uh, Feed My Starving Children is going to have the largest ever in their history mobile packing. Uh, January, uh, anyway, mid-January, it's going to be at the Dome where the bison play. And a good friend of mine, Ron, he's a dear brother in Christ. He's a contractor. He's a construction guy. But he, is, he loves the Lord with all his heart, and he's a battle buddy. And he and his crew have had 10 years of mobile packing. It all started in Manila when he was putting food on these plates of these little skinny street kids. And God, God got him. He's got a heart of, he's got a soft heart like a marshmallow. And God, he's a mobilizer. And he's mobilized thousands of people. They are mobilizing 20,000 people and raising over $3 million to pack 10 million meals in January. And it all started with Ron scooping a few platefuls of food for these kids over there in Manila. And as a matter of fact, he and I are traveling together uh, next month. Yeah, November, next month, we're going to Manila together. We're putting up a Bible school and a seminary and a missionary training center in Palawan, in Palawan province. If you're familiar with the islands uh, down in Puerto Princesa, it's a long story. I can tell you more. I don't have the time. But, you know, God is working. I was on the phone twice with Ron yesterday, long conversations. And I was on the phone in the morning with a guy named Pastor Sharjil in Karachi, Pakistan. These are young men that we're mentoring over there. They are fired up. It is a new day. The spirit is moving. That's all I can tell you. It's like a new wine across the 1040 window. And our, we are fired up in Palawan, and I know I'm going around the bush here, but we're fired up in Palawan to put up this Bible school and seminary with a missionary component to train not just Filipinos, but people ac from across the 1040 window to take the good news of the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. That is what John just sang. And it is an absolute privilege and joy to be a part of it. And that's the message today. That is the message. We have been sent to our neighbors here in Maple Plain and to the nations of the world. And when we study the commissions of Jesus, the commission of Jesus Christ, and there are five versions of it, by the way. This will give us a better understanding of God's mission and ours as his people. This morning we're going to take a, take a look at what it means to be a missional, missions-minded, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered church, gathering of brethren, gathering of God's redeemed, so that in Jesus' name we will spread his fame among the nations. Number one, we are a sent people. The church of Jesus Christ is a sent people and the sending focus of God's people is captured in the gospel of John. John's version of Jesus' commission. And we read that in chapter 20 of John verses, and I'll start with 19, 19 to 22. So if you have your Bible... And I'm reading out of the ESV. 
I'm going to read John 20, 19 to 22. And this is after Jesus' resurrection. And he appears in the flesh to his disciples. And this is what John writes. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and Jesus and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And I'm sure that was a great rejoicing. And Jesus said to them again, check this out, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was both the sent one. We just read that in John 3, 16. Jesus was sent or God gave his only begotten son. Jesus was both the sent one, and now we see he is the sender. In Jesus' command to his disciples, that, that command we see also applies to us today. When we look at the commissions of Jesus, we see that he is active in the world and he is sending. And there have been times in the history of the church when Christians have said something like this, no, that just applies to those who heard Jesus' voice in the first century. Hopefully, we here this morning will move beyond that limited application or understanding of Scripture and recognize that when Jesus speaks to his disciples here in John 20, he is also speaking to us right now. His command applies to each one of us sitting in this church. Jesus is both the sent one and he is now the sender of his people. Therefore, the church, us, as the body of Christ, we are both the sent ones and we are also the sending ones. Reminder. The New Testament uses the word ecclesia or ecclesia, the called out ones, to refer to the church. The church is not this beautiful building. This refers to those who have been called together by God. And the word always specifies people, the followers of Jesus, not buildings. Defining mission. What are you talking about, Brother Jeff? We are sent on a mission. What does that mean? Are you and I missionaries? Are we all in this room missionaries? The word mission is from a Latin word meaning to send. Being sent and sending are major themes in the scripture. Mission and missions are defined. I like to read. Here's a guy. Avery Willis, and he's, he's a missiologist, and Avery said this, By mission, I mean the total redemptive purpose of God to establish his kingdom. Missions, on the other hand, is the activity of God's people, the church, 
to proclaim and to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the world. Willis goes on to clarify the difference between mission and missionaries by saying missionaries are those who are set apart by God and by the church to cross natural and cultural barriers with the gospel. Mission, therefore, again, is the total redemptive purpose of God to establish his kingdom. And missionaries are those people who carry out God's redemptive purposes through the church in many contexts. It is very important to know that God has a mission and is on a mission. God is both the sender and the sent one in Jesus Christ. God the Father is the source of mission. Let's never forget that. He sent his son who embodies God's mission and he actually accomplishes it. God's mission is then extended and applied through the ministry of the Spirit. For it is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, who calls, who equips, and empowers the people of God to do mission work. We cannot and we dare not do this work in our own strength. The mission of God is therefore God's. He sent his son to accomplish his mission. The redemptive, and I keep repeating, the redemptive, the rescue mission of the whole world. All the peoples of the world. Jesus consistently spoke of himself as being sent. This is a major theme of John's gospel. Jesus was sent and, and, and subsequently commissioned his disciples, his followers, for the same purpose. And I can cite many verses according to the gospel of John. As the sent people of God, the church, is the means to accomplish God's mission. Missions, and I keep repeating myself because I want to drill this in, missions flows from the mission of God. So what is a missionary? Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, Charles H. Spurgeon, said, Every, mission, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So how should we use the term missionary then? In one sense, I like what Spurgeon said. Because he was saying that all of us are sent by Jesus and called to live in light of that sending. Followers of Jesus are called to live on mission. However, I prefer to use the word missionary to refer to a particular set-apart people, okay, to pursue a particular 
calling. A calling of the Spirit. Some might say all Christians are missionaries. But I emphasize the sentness of all Christians to live on mission. Yes. But missionaries are those, however, with a particular, I keep repeating, calling. And a ministry to cross cultural barriers to make disciples of Jesus. We live in a very pluralistic world. We know that. People once had to cross regional and geographical borders to do the work of missions. Now, many of us can engage in cross-cultural ministry without ever having to leave our own hometowns. These opportunities will only increase in days ahead. What is missional? What does missional? This is a common word we use. What is missional? We use the term missional. Hear me clearly. We use the term missional to describe a mission-shaped life. Missional simply is an adjective that we use for the word mission. In other words, if I'm living a missional life, I am living my life shaped, I make decisions according to, I spend my money according to, I make this, all that. My life is shaped by God's mission. What is God's mission? He is on a mission to rescue or to redeem the what? World. And again, mission is simply a Latin-based word centered on the idea of what? Being sent. Sentness implies purpose. What is our purpose? What is your purpose? John 20, 21 and 22 is ultimately about God's sending and the fact that we are sent. So to be faithful to the text we focus on mission as sentness. Jesus said, if you are a follower of mine, if you have been born again by the power of the gospel, you are sent. It doesn't matter what we call it. Shake it down. It really doesn't matter the words we use. The point is, what matters is that we have encountered God. God has encountered us. The living God. The God who is on a mission. And we have been made new. We are new creatures. We have been, we are just new people. We are the people of God. And that we are standing before the living God right now. And we are saying to him, as Isaiah said long ago, here I am. Send me. 
Isaiah 6, 8. You ask, I thought only missionaries are sent. They are. But those who live missionally have a mission-shaped life, they're also sent. You might be responding, yeah, right, Brother Jeff. Well, missionaries seem more sent than the rest of us. They really wear odd clothes. Like from a thrift store. No, Marianne dresses me really well. They eat different food. We do. They learn a new language. We did. Tagalog. They're really odd people. We are. Yes, missionaries are different. But we're not aliens. We're not from another planet. Our responsibility as missionaries, what we're working toward is the completion of the mission of God among all nations. And it's the same as you guys living in Maple Plain or the vicinity. And maybe you've lived here your entire life. You are still a sent one. You may not be a missionary crossing geographical or cultural borders, but you are still a what? Say it, sent one. You can't wiggle around that. The difference between a missionary and someone living a missional life here in Maple Plain is not in our sentness, but in the ways we pursue the completion of God's mission. As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. God is so gracious. He is so good. He is so merciful. God is holy. God is also a sender. We sometimes forget this. It's for the other guy. Not me. It's for him. I hope he's listening. God demonstrates this in the Old Testament when he sends Abraham to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. God also sent Jonah. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah heard the voice. He heard the conversation. And he said, here I am, send me. We could go on and on with examples of God sending from Genesis to Malachi. God sends because he is a sender. And of course he demonstrates his sending nature in the New Testament. I repeat, John 20, 21. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am. Current tense, present tense. Right up to this morning, I am sending you. The Father, in his sending nature, has eternally begotten the same nature in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And whatever that means in Trinitarian terms, when we look at John 20, what we just read, 20 and 21, we see the three persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're all involved in the sending. Jesus, therefore, also has a nature of sentness. And as his followers become more and more transformed to the image of Jesus, we grow in his what? Sentness. We become more and more aware that God is on a mission and he wants me to be involved. Sentness. What does that mean? We don't want to miss the scriptural theme of sentness because it defines so much of who God is and what he's doing and who we are as his redeemed people. The Father sent his Son, John 20, 21. The Father sent the Spirit in Jesus' name, John 14, 26. Jesus is yet to establish his kingdom. And I read that in Mark 1, 15. And the movement of being sent continues by sending his disciples through the ages until today. And it will continue beyond our time. Until the mission is what? Completed. The son comes and establishes his his kingdom. And Jesus is not talking chronologically describing the time when the kingdom will be ultimately established. He is speaking geographically describing the location of his kingdom. It's as if he is saying, here it is. The kingdom has come because the son has come. The sending nature of the Trinity gives birth to a movement of his people. It's a movement. And the church is birthed and the church is sent out. The movement of of kingdom people is empowered by the Spirit. The Son builds the church by placing people in his kingdom. Jesus is building his church. And he said that he would build his church in Matthew 16, 18. And nothing, nobody, not even hell, can stop the building of his church. Not the building, but the kingdom. Colossians 1, 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the, to the kingdom of his beloved son. God is rescuing us. And others here, near and far away. How? How does God rescue us? Because he is sending the church as citizens of his kingdom into the world. Into the world. And the spirit empowers the church to live and to serve in God's sentness. As the son builds the church by placing people in in his kingdom, the spirit empowers the church to live and to serve as sent citizens of the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Paul writes, Therefore, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The church is a movement. It is a dynamic movement of God's people. And it is a network of God's ambassadors in the world. What else is the church? We're an outpost of light in a very dark world. Paul says in Ephesians 6.20, For which I am an ambassador in chains. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.20, I just read it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The church is an outpost of light in the darkness. In the military, for example, an outpost is a group of soldiers stationed away from the main fort, the main force. The outpost is not the main force, but it represents the main force. The church is in the world like an embassy in a country in which the ambassador is stationed. The church is... Listen, I, I heard the announcement earlier about relationship. The church is an initial point of contact for the people of God, at the kingdom of God, as God's people are interspersed among humanity. We do, not, we do not plead with others from a long distance. We're not shouting at them. We plead with them up close in relationship to be reconciled to God. We are the sent people. We are meeting with people in their homes, coffee shops, in their areas, in their cities, in their countries. We must build relationships with people. Both inside and outside the church, or if you will, the embassy. We are not sent in human-generated power, pomp. We are sent to serve and to build relationships with others in order to share the truths of the gospel with them. And we heard that earlier. This is the nature of God's kingdom. As Jesus forms a community of his people. As we begin to study the Bible and understand the heart and the mission of God, we begin to see with fresh eyes that we are a people made new in Christ to live as servants of his mission. What else is there? Come on, what else is there? This shapes us and it moves us to live and to serve as sent people on God's mission. This is what missional is. If I am a missionary in Manila, ministering among skinny, starving street kids, 
and you're living and serving as a Christ follower here in Maple Plain or wherever, you are also sent. We are all sent. The question is, to where? And to serve among whom? From everywhere to everywhere. The reality is that all God's people are redeemed by the power of Christ. Made new in relationship with him. This is not about religion. This is not about this building. It's about knowing Jesus personally. And walking in him. And his life being lived in and through us. All this talk about God's greatness, yes, is intended to compel us toward mission. But hear me. However, the reality is that when all is said and done, too much will have been said. And not enough will have been done. Let us not get tripped up on the terms. Rather, let us invest intentionally with purpose. Our time remaining. Our days are numbered. For some of us, we have more time lived behind us than we do in front of us. Let's live and serve intentionally. Let us be in awe, absolute awe, wonder at God's mercy and his grace. That we have encountered a good and perfect, holy, loving and merciful God. But we are also accountable to Jesus' command. As the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. Scripture declares that we are sent to all peoples. Jesus' Jesus's commission, according to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, is often called, again, the Great Commission. But there are five versions of it. In this version, the emphasis is on teaching, making disciples, but he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, or as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word or the term, the phrase, all nations is in the Greek, it means peoples, peoples, people groups. Many missiologists, people who study missions, want to interpret the meaning as ethno-linguistic people groups. Others want to interpret the meaning as ethno-nationalism, meaning like a nation. Based on even the most limited reading of the text, Jesus meant, at the absolute very least, the Gentiles. Jesus also says, on this rock, 
I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. What Jesus announces is, I will build my church and the disciples in response to his building the church went out and they planted churches. So why do people go so far to do this, to plant churches, to work among the nations, meaning the peoples, the unreached peoples? Why do they do that? Paul says, I have longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He said that in Romans 15, 23, and 24. Andrew, the disciple, he went north into parts of Europe. Bartholomew went as far as the Caspian Sea. According to, according to legend, Thomas, the doubting Thomas, he probably went to India. Jesus' disciples traveled all around the world. The question is, why did they do that? When they heard the words of Jesus, what caused them when they heard all nations that moved them to go so far and preach and demonstrate the gospel to so many? The context and timing of the Great Commission in God's redemptive plan and mission explicitly pointed the disciples to something much greater than what was in the past. This was a pivotal moment. This was a, this was a, like, aha moment. Jesus reversed the mission in a sense. He changed its direction. In the Old Testament, Israel was called to live in such a way that the nations would go up to what? Go up to the temple in where? Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, Jesus is sending his disciples to the nations for God's glory. What's the end game here? What's the ultimate purpose? Where does time as we know it, human history, end? What does it look like? Revelation 7, 9 and 10. John had a vision when he was in exile. John saw this, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Men and women, this passage of scripture reminds us that the throne room, throne room is filled with people from all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages, and they are giving praise to the Lamb. That is the song that John sang earlier. I point out that there appears to be an ethno-linguistic thread through the Bible. Every nation, tribe, and language is a thread woven through the scriptures from the beginning all the way to the end. If we go back to the if we go back to the beginning, 
we can see the ethno-linguistic thread, Genesis 11, 1 to 11. God scattered humankind and made nations. He had a redemptive plan. God scatters and makes the nations for a specific purpose. Men and women, God is not random. He has a plan and he is working it. God scatters them, scatters them, and then he chooses a people for himself. God scatters to reunite. He sent Israel to bring the scattered nations up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city on a hill, and anyone traveling to the capital city would have to walk up to the city. These are the Psalms of what? Ascent. These are the songs that the pilgrims would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem to worship. The distinction between the Old and the New Testaments in regard to the mission of God is the role of God's people at different points in redemptive history. All God's ambassadors live and serve in the same overall mission. But not all live and serve in the same way. Israel's role, recorded in the Old Testament, was to lead the nations up to Jerusalem in order to worship the one true God. But when the disciples heard Jesus say, go to the nations, they were living and serving in a time when the Old Testament was recent history. The Bible for the first century believers was Genesis to Malachi. I'm almost done. Psalm 57.9 says this. I meditated on this Friday afternoon. I chewed on it and chewed on it. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. That was Israel's role. Verses 10 and 11 say, For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your steadfastness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Isaiah, in chapter 2, verse 3, is a wonderful verse highlighting the mission of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesies, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, All the nations will flow to it. That was the plan. But the plan was not fully accomplished. The nations were not praising God in Jerusalem with many languages. Yet God was not done and he is still not done. He just turned the mission, his mission, into a new direction. God is sovereign. He is absolutely in control. He, I said it earlier. I'll say it like the youth say it. 
God is not random. And he has a plan. And he's working that plan. And the end of that plan is what we just read in Revelation chapter 7. God, through his spirit, by the empowering of his spirit, brought all languages, tribes, and nations to Jerusalem to inaugurate his mission. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Dr. Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty, mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The prophecies of old were realized through the power of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now, we know Christ followers interpret Luke's account of Pentecost differently particularly as it relates to the gift of tongues. But there are some languages we can all agree on. Because at this point in Scripture, speaking in tongues served as an undeniable sign. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability People, therefore, were hearing the good news in their own language. Pentecost is not simply an outpouring of the Spirit. It is that, but it is so much more. Pentecost is a sign that redirects God's mission. The mission of God went out from Jerusalem... Not through political power or warring nations, but it went through the gospel proclamation of spirit-empowered, faithful people as ambassadors of Christ's growing and spreading kingdom. God gave a sovereign sign and he also gave a sovereign plan which is for us today. In Acts 2, God gives his people a sign. But in Acts 1.8, which is a version of the Great Commission, in Acts 1.8, he also gives them and us his plan. Luke writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, and the head of the church, redirected the mission before the uttermost parts of the earth had come to Jerusalem. Now he commissions us here in this room to go from here to our current day Judea, to our current day Samaria, and to our current day uttermost parts of the earth. Martin Luther, 
the great German monk who became a follower and a reformist, said, this is a no-brainer, now the church is not wood and stone, but it is the company of people who believe in Christ. Does Jesus send church buildings to the nations to make reproducing disciples? Of course not, man. He sends people, regular people, you and me, who personally know him, abide in him. And that was my prayer. Marianne, when we were driving out here today, this was our cry. We want to abide in Jesus. We want to be bearing fruit that remains for him. Right, Marianne? That was our prayer. We want to joyfully obey Jesus. You and me, us, together. Is the church or the ecclesia making a difference in our dark, diseased, and dying world? I'm going to meddle right now. There is only one place where we can look in order to honestly answer that question. Are we making a difference? There's only one place we can honestly look. And that's we look in our mirror. We look at ourselves in our mirror. Am I making a difference? For Christ. And his kingdom. Here's some questions. For us. What are some of the gifts and talents that God has given you and me for which he will ask an accounting for? Name some responsibilities that you or I have in our personal life, in our job, our community, in our world. Are we making a difference? Another question. What increase are we producing for God and his kingdom in these areas? And how might we become more productive as, and faithful as a servant of Christ? You know, we've all been given, of course, our time, our days. They are numbered, by the way. We've been given a personality. Praise God, we're not all the same. We have men and we have women. Praise the Lord. If we know Christ, we've been saved from wrath to a new relationship with him. We've been made new in Christ. We've been given spiritual gifts. That's a beauty of the church. To serve the church and the world. We've been given material resources, some much more than others. But regardless, we all have something. We've been given skills. We've learned skills. We will give an account. 
We will. Count on it. I'd like to close in prayer. You're probably saying, good, I'm glad you're done. Man, I wrestled with this message because I'm preaching to myself. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our lives and our personality. Thank you for the spiritual gifts, the innate talents, the learned skills, the abilities, the material resources you have given us and you have helped us to develop. You have entrusted us with these treasures as your stewards, managers. Give us the grace and courage to use these in order to build your kingdom and to make disciples among the nations. Whether that's here, near, or far away. May it no longer be I who live, but your Son, the risen and ruling Lord Jesus Christ, living his life in and through us. Any good we do, we know this, any good we do comes from the Spirit working in us. We praise and thank you for salvation as we work out what you have worked in. And we do this with awe and worship. May your kingdom come and may your will be done and on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this as a community of believers for your glory among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.